Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. So good. And uh, I assume that you blew in just like I did this morning. Uh, hopefully you don't blow out, but uh, it is good to have you this morning. You know, you hang around church long enough. Uh, you, you participate in uh, what the church participates in. You, you uh, commit your life to Jesus in the way that uh, people who make up the church uh, actually begin to commit their lives. And eventually, there's probably going to be a time when someone somewhere uh, acting on behalf of God uh, gives a, a level of instruction that's equal uh, with the words of Scripture uh, that gives you some instruction, gives you some maybe even some constructive criticism, uh, gives you some difficult teaching uh, that's difficult for you to swallow. Uh, if you hang around here long enough, if you commit your life to Jesus, uh, if you become part of who the church is a part of, uh, there's likely going to be a time uh, when someone will give you a level of instruction uh, that's, that's equal with uh, what the Word of God is saying that is just hard to swallow. Uh, you know that you should obey it, uh, that you know that you should even uh, be a part of it, uh, but it's going to be difficult for you to do it. Maybe, maybe it's going to come in the form of a, a, a matriarch or patriarch of your church. Uh, maybe it's going to come from that person who has uh, been a member of your church for a long time. They're highly respected. Um, uh, they carry themselves uh, really well. Um, uh, everybody knows that this person has, has done everything they possibly can to be blameless, to walk in the Lord. And they're going to come and they're going to come and visit you. And they're going to give you some constructive criticism. Uh, maybe it is that they want you to pay a little more attention to uh, the marginalized in our world. Uh, maybe they're going to challenge you uh, and, and give you some level of instruction to say, you know, uh, there's people in the world, uh, maybe the poor, maybe the elderly, maybe there's just annoying people in your life that you don't want to love. In fact, you want to justify not loving them. And this matriarch or patriarch comes alongside of you and really, uh, through the words of Scripture, challenges you to live life differently. Maybe that is the sort of instruction that you know you should obey, but you don't want to because it's difficult. Uh, maybe, maybe it is that a friend comes alongside of you. This is a friend who loves Jesus just like you do, uh, and, and you have developed a friendship uh, where there's a level of transparency with this friend that they can speak honestly and openly with you. And they've noticed how you have been looking at this particular woman. You both know her, and he knows you well enough that you ought not be looking at her like you are. And he comes to you, and he says, bro, this can't be. I mean, you're married, you have children, you, you need not look at this woman like you're currently looking at her, and, and you want to justify what you're doing. But deep down, you know what he is saying to you is true and right, and he is giving instruction that's, uh, that's, 
that's in keeping with God's word and you want to listen, but you don't want to do what he's asking you to do. You're going to have to really swallow hard, bite your tongue, and try and obey. Now, sometimes the Lord's instruction can come through our spouse, can't it? Everybody just look at your spouse if your spouse happens to be here today, right? Yes, smile at them and know that the Lord sometimes can speak through them. Maybe it is, husbands, that that your wife is going to come to you and, and she's trying to bring a level of instruction from the Lord. One of the fruits of the Spirit um, is self-control. And maybe she's going to come to you and quite frankly, uh, she's going to say, hey, look, look, every time you lose it emotionally in our home, our relationship suffers. Every time uh, you lose uh, this this bit of self-control, every time you fail to allow the Spirit to live through your life in this way, our family is suffering and our relationship is suffering. And and you don't want to hear that. It's a difficult thing to hear from your spouse because you know all the the buttons on their life and you want to really just react instead of respond. And and you know, you know as a Christian, as someone who's committed to Jesus, I should hear that. But I don't want to and you're going to have to find a way to accept and swallow, to accept this constructive criticism. Ladies, maybe your husband comes to you one day and he says, look, look, you know, every time, every time you go on a spending binge, every time you visit Amazon, every time you go to the mall, I mean, our our account book suffers. Our finances are suffering because you can't control your spending. You, You lack contentment. And I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you for the sake of our relationship and our family and our marriage uh, that our finances would be better if you would find a way to, to be in control. And, and, and ladies, you're, you might look at that and go, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that constructive criticism. I don't want to hear that difficult teaching. But maybe in the Lord, maybe there's something that the Lord can provide for you that you can swallow and you can say, I can accept this teaching from the Lord. There's all sorts of things like that, aren't there? Our friends, our family, maybe acquaintances, our spouses, our church family, uh, people who can speak into our life at the level that's, that's, that's God's word and say, hey, I'm going to give you some instruction because I think your life can be sharpened. And sometimes that can be painful. So in those moments when your spouse or your friend or another church member uh, comes to you and tries to give you uh, some level of difficult instruction, uh, some level of constructive criticism, some difficult teaching uh, that you need to obey or follow, uh, what is it that, that the Lord can provide for you that makes you more able to take on that teaching to obey it? What is it that the Lord can provide? So in that moment, and in those moments after those kinds of conversations, uh, you don't have any excuse 
You don't have any level of justification not to follow that kind of instruction. Now, this morning and over the next several weeks, we're going to be in this series, Living with God. And living with God sometimes comes along with with the kind of instruction from the Lord uh, that tries to uh, really shape our life, and sometimes that can be painful. And God oftentimes uses others to do that. And so we're going to be looking uh, through the book of Malachi. Now, I have a good buddy. He would say, uh, it's not Malachi, it's Maliki, but... uh, But for those of you who uh, don't want to speak Hebrew, we're just going to say Malachi, okay? And Malachi is this Italian prophet, and the Lord gives him a very tough message for the people of Israel. I mean, he is is, uh, laying down some really difficult teaching, and he's going to shape their life. He's going to say, hey, there's good reason that you can trust God, and there's some things that I want uh, you to do as a people of God that are going to be uh, different for you. And you're going to have to obey them. But before we ever get to chapters 2, 3, and 4, uh, before we ever get into some of those areas of our life where we might need to be shaped and molded to be more like God's people, before we get to there, uh, this morning we're going to look at what God says Before he says any of that, before he gives any of that, he's going to provide for us what it is that we need so that when those tough teachings come, so when those times where God wants to shape us through others, when he gives us instruction that we really don't want to obey, he gives us something so we have no excuse. And he's going to provide that for us. He's going to say, I'm going to give you something so that you have no excuse for not obeying. You have have no justification for not taking on this constructive criticism, for not being reshaped and transformed into the people that I know that you can be. And so for what's true for for the people of, uh, of Israel, for Malachi, is true for us. He's going to give us what we need. So open up with me to Malachi chapter 1. Open up with me to Malachi chapter 1. It's page 669 if you're following along in your pew Bibles. Page 669, Malachi chapter 1. Before God ever brings a word of constructive criticism, before he brings hard words of instruction, he provides for God's people what it is that they need so that they will hear him. He provides what it is that that all of us need before we're ready to hear a word from the Lord. God says to his people, God says to the leaders and the people of Israel, he says, I love you. 
Before he gives any word of instruction or, or, or difficulty or criticism, uh, he begins uh, this whole thing of living with him, of trusting him by affirming uh, that he loves them and he has chosen them. Oh, look with me. I'm going to read just that very first portion of verse 2. Malachi 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. I mean, he opens this up. There's a people that aren't sure if they can trust the Lord. And he says, let me tell you, I love you. And in fact, the verb that's used here of love is, is, is this verb of God's choice. He chose you. He chose you as God's people. And he loves you. I mean, God has never been painted in a corner as if he's somehow being forced to love you. No, this is a freedom of God's choice. It's a freedom of his character and his nature. And he's telling all those who would call themselves his people before there's any word of instruction, I want you to know that I love you. Now, for the nation of Israel, this is a pretty big deal. Uh, because up to this point, uh, there has been all sorts of things uh, that one would think that God has a great excuse not to love them. I mean, they have practiced idolatry. Um, they have tried to, to set up all sorts of um, inauthentic worship. Uh, they've tried to, to get by on maybe a religion of ritualism, of going through the motions, of singing the songs, of offering the sacrifices. And despite all of it, despite all the ups and downs, despite all the mountains and the valleys, uh, God is willing to say uh, right up front, hey, when you come to live with me, I want you to know one thing is going to be constant. I love you. You see, God is committed to his people, and he's saying, I'm committed to you. Uh, this isn't like I, I was painted in a corner. I don't have to do this. This is a, a, a groom choosing his bride, and he is saying, I chose you, I love you, and I'm going to stick with you. Now, for those of you who are here this morning, God chose you, and he is committed to you, and he loves you. God's hanging with you. Now, despite all of your ups and downs, despite your, your hang-ups and uh, all that you may have done, despite the good things and the bad things, right? Uh, you don't come this morning. Uh, there's no litmus test at the door that says, okay, now uh, begin in Genesis and end in Revelation and say all the books uh, in order and be able to spell them all correctly before God is willing and ready and able to love you. Thank goodness that's not true. I'm a terrible speller. Despite all of your good intentions, despite all of your bad intentions, God is saying, I am committed to you. I chose you. You are my people. And I love you. So before, before we hear any word of criticism, before we are challenged uh, to, to hear the instruction from the Lord, uh, before we have people step into our life and try and uh, shape us and transform us to be blameless and true and faithful people of God, what we need is to know that God loves us. 
that he's committed to us. Now, some of you are probably thinking, preacher, talk's cheap. I've heard that God loves me before. What's he done for me lately? And if you're thinking that, uh, let me tell you that the people in Malachi's day are also thinking it. Uh, They have come through a period uh, where God has seemed to be silent. And if God hasn't seemed silent, it it seems like uh, some of the promises that God has given haven't come to fruition yet. And so they respond to God. They respond to to God saying, I love you, to God saying, I chose you, uh, to God saying, I'm committed to you. Uh, They respond by saying, oh yeah? Prove it. Talk's cheap, God. How about about you come down on my level and you, you show me your love? And they begin to question the authenticity of God's love. And and the great thing is, God's a big God. And he can handle that kind of question from his people. He doesn't zap them with fire. He doesn't send judgment from heaven. He, He says, okay, let me show you my love. I won't just say that I love you. I won't just give you another verb of my commitment to you. Let me show it to you. And God is going to show them in two sons. He's going to show them in, in two sons. One's named Jacob, and the other's name is Esau. Now look with me now in verse 2. Look with me now in verse 2, the latter half, and continue on with me through verse 4. But you ask... How have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Now Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. Now, Jacob and Esau. At first, we look at this and we think it's strange. How is it that God hates people? What's going on? The issue here uh, that's trying to be communicated uh, is that God has chosen Jacob to be a great nation. If you go throughout the Old Testament, you recognize that that God chose Jacob and Jacob is going to become the nation of Israel. All in keeping with his covenant promise that he made with Abraham way back there in the book of Genesis. And so when he says... uh, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. He he is not saying that somehow he had this emotional hostility toward Esau. What he is saying, however, is that he chose Jacob to be great. But he rejected Esau. 
Now what's important here, why this comes up in this particular context, uh, why Malachi is talking about it uh, as a means of, of being able to communicate God's love to his people, is this, Jacob and Esau both become nations. Uh, Jacob embodies the nation of Israel, and Esau comes to embody the nation of Edom. Now here, here's why this is important. Uh, you have people saying, hey God, I need you to prove your love. And he responds with Jacob and Esau, and here's why. The Edomites were not nice to Israel. When Israel came up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery that we hear about in the book of Exodus, and when they came up out, they had crossed the Red Sea, they had an opportunity, and it was the Edomites who would not let them pass through their land, and it was because of that that, that the Israelites now had to wander in the wilderness. When they finally had settled, it was the Edomites who would oftentimes come and raid the cities of Jerusalem or raid the cities of Israel uh, to try and get a rise out of the nation. In fact, it was Edom who at one point in their history uh, decided that they were going to uh, come together with another army. They were going to partner with another king uh, to try and eliminate and destroy the nation of Israel. And so, uh, why is it that Jacob and Esau are mentioned? It's because God is saying, let me show you my love for you. You know those crosstown rivals? You know your arch enemies? You know those people who are a thorn in your side? I am going to get rid of them. I will vindicate you by getting rid of them and show you that I'm committed to you and you are my people. He says, I know, I know what kind of trash talk they do. I know that they're going to tell you that they'll, if you destroy it, they're going to rebuild. But let me tell you, my hand will always be against them because I am your God. So before, before we ever get to this instruction, before we ever get to this constructive criticism that the Lord is going to bring to shape His people to live with Him, He is going to give them a tangible, touchable expression of His love for them. Quite frankly, what this text is saying before your friend comes to you, before that matriarch or patriarch comes to you, before your spouse comes to you, we should not be surprised that the Lord would give you a tangible, touchable expression of his love so that you're ready to receive without excuse the instruction that he's about to bring in your life. Tangible love precedes tough love. And God's going to give us both. But tangible love precedes tough love. Before that instruction comes, before that criticism comes, before God shapes painful areas of your life, He's going to give you some tangible expression of His love. So before that matriarch or patriarch comes, 
Before they come and, and come alongside of you and tell you that you really need to, uh, to pay more attention to the marginalized, to the poor, to those that you tend not to love. Perhaps there's a 13-year-old that you've been working with and they're going to text you one day and say, you know what, I just want you to know how much your being willing to meet with me has meant to me. You have changed my life. Your meeting with me has meant my life is better. And maybe, maybe that's the form of God's tangible love coming to you before a period where he's going to begin to shape you. And you can say, okay, you know what, Lord? Because you have shown love to me in a tangible, touchable, expressible way, I have the ability to look forward and know that you're going to hang with me. Even as I try and figure out how to live more like you. That friend that's going to come and see you and they're going to say to you in a very transparent way, hey man, you can't look at that woman in that way. Before that happens, maybe you get a call from your dad. And your dad says, hey son, I just want you to know how so proud I am of you. I love you and I appreciate what you're doing. You're committed to Jesus and you love your family. I just want you to know how great it is to be called your father. And maybe that's exactly the word that the Lord is going to give you in a tangible, touchable expression of his love before he gives you a word of difficult instruction. And it's because the Lord provided his love in a tangible way through your dad uh, that you're going to be able to go, okay, you know what, maybe I, do, maybe I do need to heed this instruction. Maybe I need to begin to obey. Before your spouse, before your husband or your bride comes to you and they, they begin to talk to you, about areas of your life that could be tweaked or changed, even, even though it's difficult. Now, maybe, maybe what the Lord provides for you is that your daughter or your son comes to you. And they look into your eyes and they go, you know what, Dad, Mom? You are the best. And it's not one of those kinds of times where your kids are trying to get something out of you, you know? I mean, it's not like, you're the best, so can I have ten bucks? No, no, it, it's like unadulterated. It's unasked for. It's just given. Like uh, There's a moment of reflection that they got from the Lord, and they're giving it to you, and this is an tangible, touchable expression. And, and, and so later on, when your spouse comes to you, you're going to look back on that moment, and you're going to be able to say, you know, thank you, Lord, for giving me this, for providing me what I need, so that I can actually heed your instruction, so that I can obey without excuse, without justification, and you will shape me. And when God shares his tangible, touchable expressions of his love, not only will we live in his instruction and his criticism, his construction of us, not only will we heed that, not only will we obey, but the result is that we will worship. 
really unadulterated worship, that the expression of our worship would be unbounding. Uh, Look with me at verse 5. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Now, I don't know what it is that the Lord may be getting ready to shape us into. But when we want to live with God, we ought to expect that there are areas of our life that we need to heed his instruction, and he's going to give us tangible love before tough love. And when we know his love is present, church, we worship And we worship in sanctuaries like this one, and we'll worship in our sanctuary of our cubicle in our office, and we'll worship in our trucks, in our cars, in our vehicles, and we will say, the Lord is great. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that all of us will hear and see and recognize the tangible places where your love is present And I pray that those tangible expressions of your love, Lord, I pray that those things, I pray that we'll hang on to them as you try and give us tough love, as you try and give us instruction and correction, and Lord, that we would obey. Lord, in the weeks that that follow this, as we get into your word, Lord, I I pray uh, that all of your people, that that we would come ready for you to change us, that we would be ready for you to shape us, and that our lives would look markedly different tomorrow because of what you're doing in us today. Lord, thank you for your tangible love. We love you, and may our lives demonstrate it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.